Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to this week's episode of the Divine Lantern. With the blessing of his eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm your host, Jumana, from St. Nicholas Antiochian Orthodox Church in New South Wales. In this week's episode, we'll be joined by Reverend Father Philip Saba, who will be providing a message from the Gospel of John as read on the Sunday of the Blind Man. This will be followed by short readings from our Philocalic Nourishment series, as well as a selected chanting track. We will then conclude today's episode with our Lives of the Saints series as read by a member of our Archdiocese. Sunday's reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 38. At that time, when Jesus was passing, he saw a man blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, 
Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He said, I am the man. They said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is a marvel. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who speaks to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Never since the world began 
has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This Sunday, the fifth Sunday after Pascha, is known in the Orthodox Church as the Sunday of the Blind Man. In this powerful gospel, Christ confirms that he truly is the light of the world, giving sight to a man born blind, an unprecedented event in history. In doing so, he also confirms his divinity and that he is the awaited Messiah, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, Be comforted, you faint-hearted. Be strong, do not fear. Behold, our God renders judgment and will render it. He will come and save us. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall hear. Chapter 35, verses 4 to 5. There is so much that could be said about this gospel, and if this were a Bible studies, it would need a good couple of hours to dissect in order to give it justice. Since we do not have this amount of time, I would prefer to pose the questions. Why does the church prescribe this reading during the blessed period of Paschal Tide, the 40 days after Pascha? What is its connection with Pascha? And how does it encourage us in our journey towards a communion with God? For the last five weeks, we have been celebrating the resurrection of Christ on a daily basis. We have replaced our customary hellos and good mornings with the greeting, Christ is risen. Our churches and clergy have been adorned with white furnishings and vestments. Our prayers have begun and ended with the beautiful chant, Christ is risen. If we have attended a liturgy during the week, the customary, save us, O Son of God, who art wondrous in his saints, has been replaced by, who art risen from the dead usually prescribed only for Sundays. This is the beauty of the Paschaltide season. Every day has a resurrection theme, not just exclusively Sundays. Further to this, every Sunday since Pascha has had its own theme, directly related to the Feast of Feasts. At the beginning of the season, it was easier to see the link between the themes and Pascha, for example, Thomas Sunday and the Sunday of the Myrrhbearers. But why did the church then prescribe the Sunday of the Paralytic, the Sunday of the Samaritan Woman, and now the Sunday of the Blind Man? What is their link to Pascha? The answer can be found in one word, baptism. In the early church, catechumens were traditionally baptised and became members of the church on the Feast of Pascha. Thus, from the very beginning, Pascha and baptism have been deeply connected. Today, Pascha is our return every year to our own baptism. The day we rejected Satan and all his works and were united with Christ, where through our immersion into the baptismal font waters, we died to the world and were buried with Christ, and then through our ascension out of the water, were resurrected to a new life in Christ, the new life that was granted to us through Christ's resurrection on Pascha. Due to this connection between Pascha and baptism, which is also known as holy illumination, 
the church prescribed readings on the Sundays after Pascha which reflect a baptismal theology. The paralytic by the pool of Bethesda, who was cured by the words of Christ, Rise, take up your bed and walk. The Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, who through encountering Christ, learned about the living water, that is, the grace of the Holy Spirit that leads to eternal life. And the blind man this week, who was born blind, both physically and spiritually, but through anointing by clay made from Christ's saliva, was told to go wash in the pool of Siloam and received his sight, both physically and spiritually. It is no coincidence that the evangelist John tells us that Siloam is translated as sent, representing Christ, who was sent by the Father to illumine and save man. Thus all three, the paralytic, the Samaritan and the blind man experienced their own Pascha and illumination and began their new life in Christ. But what can we take away from these gospel passages? How can they encourage us on our journey towards a communion with God? Brothers and sisters, we can learn so much from the blind man in this Sunday's gospel. The complete faith he had that he would be healed, even though a miracle like this had never been performed. His obedience when told to go and wash. His bold witness of Christ when questioned and interrogated about him, even though he didn't have all the answers, and even when his own parents were afraid to witness to the truth. His eagerness to learn more when he encountered Christ again, and his bold confession Lord, I believe. Through this passage, we can also learn so much about God and his transcendent love for man, how he offers himself to man, even when not asked, in order to present to his creation something better. If the Sunday Gospels of Paschal Tide have taught us anything, brothers and sisters, it is that our God is a living, loving and personal God. A God who doesn't just sit back, but rather who reaches out and approaches man in order to save his beloved creation. On Pascha Sunday, the purpose of the Incarnation is revealed to us. The Gospel tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, God came to his people. He willingly became man, suffered and died for us in order to trample down the power of death and Hades, and in his resurrection and ascension, he bestows life on his creation and reopens the pathway to communion with God. On Thomas Sunday, Jesus appears to his disciples and Thomas. The reading states, He came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. On the Sunday of the Myrrh-bearers, he sends an angel to proclaim the good tidings of the resurrection to the women, instructing them, Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. On the Sunday of the paralytic, it was Jesus 
who approached the paralytic and asked him, Do you want to be made well? As opposed to other healing accounts, where the sick and suffering were brought to him or cried out, Have mercy on me. On the Sunday of the Samaritan woman, Christ purposely passes through Samaria to meet the Samaritan, and it is he who opens conversation with her about living water. And this Sunday, as with the paralytic, it is Christ who approaches the blind man without being asked by the man, anointing his eyes and granting him physical and spiritual sight. And if Christ can heal a man born blind, imagine what this God-man can do for us. Brothers and sisters, whether we see it or not, Christ is always inviting us to a new and better way of life. He is always standing at the door of our hearts, knocking and waiting to be received. How, we may ask? When has he called me specifically to this new life? To that I answer, is he not calling us in the voice of that friend or relative constantly inviting us to come to a liturgy with them? Or in the voice of the priest or youth member asking us to join the parish's Bible study or spiritual book club? Or in the advertisement which continually pops up in our social media app inviting us to come to a spiritual retreat or talk or even listen to a podcast? We have recently been illumined by the light of the resurrection, just as the blind man was illumined in this gospel reading. Let us follow his example, brothers and sisters, accepting Christ's invitation into our lives, seeking to know him more, boldly bearing witness to him in a world that prefers to debate and deny his existence, proclaiming like the blind man, Lord, I believe, and worshipping him. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Thank you Father Philip for that informative lesson. And now a reading from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. I have heard people say that one cannot achieve a persistent state of virtue without retreating far into the desert, and I was amazed that they should think that the unconfinable could be confined to a particular locality. Thus the desert is in fact superfluous since we can enter the kingdom simply through repentance and the strict keeping of God's commandments. Entry into the kingdom can occur, as David states, in all places of his dominion, for he says, in all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. Nikitas Stathatos Men are of three kinds, slaves, hirelings or sons. Slaves do not love the good, but refrain from evil out of fear of punishment. This is a good thing, but not fully in accord with God's will. Hirelings love what is good and hate what is evil out of hope of reward. But sons, being perfect, refrain from evil, not out of fear of punishment, but because they hate evil violently, and they do what is good, not because they hope for reward, but because they consider it their duty. St. Peter of Damascus.
just as some snakes live in glens and others in houses, so there are passions which take shape in our thoughts, while others express themselves in action. It is possible, however, for them to change from one type to the other. St. Mark the Ascetic This coming Sunday, the sixth Sunday of Pascha, we celebrate the miracle wrought by our Lord and God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, upon the man who was blind from his birth. O light of light, most perfect, and light provider, on the blind from birth, O word, eyes thou bestowest. The Saviour met this man, born blind and incurable, after every human effort while leaving the temple on the Sabbath. Saints John Chrysostom, Basil the Great and Irenaeus teach that the man was born without eyes. Jesus spat into the dirt, made clay, rubbed it in his eye sockets and told him to wash in the pool of Siloam, a famous water spring in Jerusalem. The Saviour did not send him there because his eye sockets were covered in clay, nor did the pool have healing power, but instead to test his faith and obedience. The blind man proclaimed that Jesus healed him, but this confession caused him to be cast out by the enemies of truth. Even his own parents would not defend him. However, the blind man followed Jesus from that moment forward. By thine infinite mercy, O Christ our God, giver of light, have mercy on us. Amen. Having risen from the grave as he foretold, has bestowed to 
The following segment is a reading from the Lives of the Saints, or Synaxarion. We have chosen to begin our first collection of readings on the lives of Antiochian saints, of which we are thankful to bring a selected number of edifying accounts. We hope that these Synaxarions will encourage you to put on the likeness of Christ, as did these vessels of grace. On the 20th of December, we remember our Holy Father and Hieromata Ignatius, God-bearer of Antioch. Disciple of the Apostles, Father of Bishops, bold warrior in the vanguard of the victorious martyrs, Saint Ignatius has been thrice crowned and shines brilliantly in the firmament of the friends of God. True to his name, which betokens fire, love of Christ burns so strongly in his heart that he was called Theophoros, God-bearer, an epithet which, without boastfulness, he did not hesitate to apply to himself. For all Christians after baptism become Christ-bearers and are clothed in the Holy Spirit. Ignatius had known the apostles in his youth and, in company with Saint Polycarp, he was initiated into the deepest mysteries of the faith by Saint John the Evangelist. He later succeeded Evidus as second bishop of Antioch, the capital of Syria and greatest city of the East, whose episcopal see was found by the Apostle Peter. During the persecution of Domitian, Saint Ignatius encouraged the many confessors to make light of torments and fleeting tribulations for the sake of winning everlasting life. He brought them consolation in prison and conveyed to them his own eager desire to follow Christ in his death in order to be united to him forever. But the fearless bishop was not arrested at that time and when the persecution abated, he was disappointed that God had not called him to the perfection of a true disciple. In the years of peace that followed, Saint Ignatius was concerned to organize the church on firm foundations and to show that the grace which came down upon the apostles at Pentecost persisted in the Episcopal ministry, even though the Twelve had passed away. About the year 113 AD, the Emperor Trajan spent some time in Antioch, where he initiated a local persecution of prominent Christians. Realizing that the long-awaited moment had arrived, Saint Ignatius appeared of his own accord before the Emperor and replied boldly to his questions. He confessed God the Creator and Friend of Man and His only Son, Jesus Christ, and he was not afraid to pour scorn on the superstition that made the mighty prince invoke figments of the imagination to protect his legions. The Emperor was displeased and said, So you are a disciple of the one crucified under Pontius Pilate, are you? I am the disciple of him who has nailed my sin to the cross and has trodden the devil and his devices underfoot, the saint replied. Why do you call yourself God-bearer? Because I carry the living Christ within me. Therefore, let the bearer of the crucified one be taken in chains to Rome, the emperor commanded, there to be fed to the lions for the amusement of the people. Like Saint Paul and so many other glorious martyrs, the servant of God was filled with joy and he fervently kissed the heavy chains they loaded him with, calling them my most precious spiritual pearls. 
the longed-for bonds which would attain life in Christ for him. Bidding farewell to his church and exhorting his children to change their tears into joyous hymns, he left Antioch on foot with other prisoners. They were guarded by a squad of ten soldiers, veritable leopards, the saint called them, men of insatiable cruelty, whose accumulated mistreatment of him only added to his eagerness and joy. From Antioch, they made their way very laboriously by boat and on foot to Smyrna, where Ignatius was greeted with great emotion by the bishop, his fellow disciple Saint Polycarp. Bishops of neighbouring cities also came to meet him. Onesimus from Ephesus, Demas from Magnesia, and Polybes from Trollus. He communicated his final teachings to them and exhorted them in the face of the insults and mockery of pagans to imitate the meekness and humility of our Lord Jesus Christ before his persecutors. So effectively did he inspire them with his joy and his desire to attain as soon as possible the perfection of martyrdom that they did not bid him farewell as one condemned to death but saluted him as an already triumphant athlete, a traveller setting off for heaven. From Ephesus, St Ignatius sent wonderful letters to the Christians of the churches of Asia Minor in order to confirm them in the faith, to share with them his burning inspiration and to urge them to keep clear of heresies by staying united around the bishop and prosbyters in a single Eucharistic assembly. Having learned that the faithful in Rome intended to prevent his contest if they could, he wrote begging them to restrain their inopportune zeal and not to intervene. The convoy stopped for a while at Troas, and there Ignatius learnt to his joy that the persecution in Antioch had come to an end. He therefore wrote to the churches asking them to send messengers to rejoice with his spiritual children and he entrusted the care of his church to Polycarp. They proceeded by long and wearisome stages to Rome, where the faithful of the city greeted Ignatius in an atmosphere of tears of sorrow and anguish mingled with joy at receiving this star from the east, which had orbited the earth in order to set in the west. When the moment of his final contest arrived, Saint Ignatius entered the arena as though approaching the holy altar to serve his last liturgy in the presence of the faithful, who were crowded among pagans on the steps of the amphitheater. Now fully bishop and disciple of the high priest of our salvation, Jesus, at once priest and victim, he offered himself willingly to the ravenous lions who sprang on him and devoured him in a few moments, leaving nothing, as he had wished, but the largest bones. These precious relics were devoutly gathered up by the faithful and taken back to Antioch with great solemnity, venerated by the Christians along their way as though the shepherd were returning alive and triumphant to his flock. Through the prayers of your saints, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Amen.
A big thank you to all our listeners as we conclude this week's episode of The Divine Lantern. Be sure to subscribe and share our channel on your favourite podcast provider. For more information on our Archdiocese, follow us on our social media platforms by searching Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese Australia. We hope you tune in next week.